Uh, we're going through the letter to the Philippians uh, entitled The Secret, based off Paul's quote, I want to know, I know the secret to contentment. And we're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, which can be found on page 1140. Next week will be the final sermon in the series. And Paul here is dealing with conflict in his community, and he's teaching people how to agree in the Lord, how to have unity. So listen for the word of God to you. I plead with Eudea, and I plead with Sinche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O oh God of peace, Prince of peace, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to guard our hearts, that we may walk in your perfect peace and bring that peace to a hurting world. Lord, any words that I say that are not of your will, I ask that they fall to the ground and be forgotten. But whatever I say that is of your will, I ask that embed in hearts and bear good fruit unto the kingdom of God. Lord, let us not hinder your word, but feed your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think we can all agree that none of us like conflict in our relationships. And I think most of us can agree that most of our go-to strategy for solving conflict is to agree to disagree and then maybe tell a joke. So in the spirit of disagreeing jokes, I would like to tell a joke. You may not find it funny, but we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that. So an ecumenical roundtable discussion with various religious leaders tried to answer the question, when does life start? At conception, said the Catholic priest. No, said the Presbyterian minister. It begins at birth. It's in between, said the Baptist. Life begins at 12 weeks when the fetus develops a functioning heartbeat. I disagree with you all, said the rabbi. Life begins when your last child leaves the home and takes the dog with him. <laughs> and all God's people said amen, right? <laughs> Laughter can be good medicine, especially in times of tension, especially when we're agreeing to disagree. And the fact of life is some problems we're just going to have to live with. We can't resolve everything, and we have to learn to live with each other in peace. We, in our country, have the right to agree to disagree. Our First Amendment says that if we disagree with the government, 
They can't lock us up. The Bible says that we as servants of the Lord are to be peaceable and agreeable. Now, it's not that we don't have the right to agree to disagree. The question becomes is if all we do is agree to disagree, if all we do is push the problems under the rug, can we maintain a relationship? And I think Paul would argue today that, no, we cannot. He says to Eudea and Sithea to agree in the Lord. Who were these two women? We don't know a whole lot about them. Some scholars speculate that maybe these women were converts from the prayer meeting that Paul went to in Philippi, down by the river, where Lydia, the famous seller of purple cloth, and one of the founders of the church there was converted, that maybe these two women were converts with her as well. We can't be sure, but it fits the context. Whatever the case may be, Paul tells us that these women are servants of the Lord, that they are, their names are written in the book of life, that they are his equals, and yet whatever this conflict is, it's dividing the church. And he tells them not to agree to disagree. He tells them to agree in the Lord. And the good news today is when we agree in the Lord, the world will see the handwriting of our Savior who has written our names on the book of life. When we agree in the Lord, the world will see the handwriting of Christ who wrote our names in the book of life. How do we agree in the Lord? Well, three points today. We agree in the Lord through corporate prayer. We agree in the Lord through focusing on doctrine. And we agree in the Lord by practicing that doctrine with gentleness. First, we agree in the Lord by focusing on prayer. Here we see that famous verse, do not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, bring your request to the Lord. This word for prayer has a very specific meaning. It means to prostrate oneself before God. I find that posture of prostrating oneself to be helpful in prayer. You may not be able to do that. It's not a requirement. But the point is to bring our spirits before God and to say, you are God and I am not. Thy will be done, not my will be done. Where was I when you founded the foundations of the earth? How do we distinguish between when we're talking to ourselves and when we're praying? Well, it depends on where we start. If we start with God's glory, as the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If we start with his glory, with his majesty, we can be certain that we are praying. If we start with ourselves, we might just be talking to ourselves. Next, we are to give thanks and rejoice. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We may not know God's will for every particular circumstance, but we know God's general will for whatever circumstance we are in. It is to give thanks, and it is to rejoice. As I always say, we've got to be aware that we should give thanks in all circumstances and not for all circumstances. Because there are some things that happen to us that are genuinely tragic and heartbreaking and awful, and we should not 
give thanks for us for those things. Hope is facing reality with joy. You see, if we don't look at our problems at all, it can be like an infection spreading through our system. But if all we do is focus on our problems, then it can be like cutting open an open wound. And we can bleed out of our hope and our joy. But if we rejoice in all circumstances, if we say, say, in this season, I will rejoice and I will find a reason to worship. If we say his mercies are new every morning, we, and we see the blessings he's already given us, that helps put our problems in perspective. Because sometimes when we focus on our sufferings, that can magnify our pain and make it worse. But when we give thanks in all circumstances, we'll be able to look with real vision at our problems and be able to address them more reasonably. Next, Paul says, when we do this, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts. What he's saying is it will be like a military fortification that God will send his angels and his Holy Spirit to guide our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But what we forget in our devotions that this is a corporate promise. And if we lack individual peace, it is often because we lack corporate peace that Paul is calling these two women who are disagreeing to pray together that they might become one. Jesus had this perspective too. In Matthew chapter 18, he gives us the solution for dealing with conflict in our lives. He says, if you have a problem, go to your brother. If you can't reconcile, bring another along as a witness. If that doesn't work, bring it before the church council. But often we don't connect that strategy with the prayer that follows. What Jesus says after that is this, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two on earth agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. As I was thinking about this scripture, I, I often thought we, we pray with people we agree with, but what I think Paul is saying is when you start to pray with people you disagree with, somehow he will bring you into agreement in a way you never expected, in a way you never understood, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and the heart of the one you are in conflict with. Second, I think Paul says we need to focus on what is true. We need to focus on doctrine. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's calling them to remind them of his teaching, of the values and ideals he has expressed to them, these perfect ideals in an imperfect world. You know, often today we, we, we think in teaching that all that's required is to have a positive message and to help our community. And what is taught, we don't think is as important. But Paul says that is not true. In the first chapter of Philippians, he gives thanks for those who are preaching Christ, even though they had bad motivations. They were preaching Christ to humiliate Paul, 
because he was in prison and he couldn't preach as openly, but he rejoiced that Christ, by what he meant, the doctrine of Christ that he was proclaiming, was being proclaimed. Yet in chapter 3, when the circumcisers say that to believe in Jesus, you basically have to become Jewish, Paul said no. He opposed them to their face, but he didn't follow his own rule. He didn't do it with gentleness. Why? Because he was upset. But he commands us to do better than he could. He commands us to treat everyone, whether we agree with them or not, with gentleness and compassion. This word for gentleness is an interesting word. It can mean reasonable, kind, tolerant, not prone to exaggeration, impartial, even-handed, one who practices moderation, one who is patient, one who yields to others, one who compromises and meets people halfway. When our passions flare, that can be really hard to do. It can be impossible, it seems, to do. But the good news is because of what Christ did, we have the mind of Christ. As Paul says, have this mind among all of you, which is in Christ Jesus, who having equality with God, did not desire, make equality something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, of a servant, and humbled himself unto the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus never argued about power because that's what, it, what it, he was. He wasn't there for that. He wanted to do his Father's will. He wanted to be wrapped in his Father's love. And if power could aid that, then he used it. If he didn't, then he emptied himself. M. James Jordan is a Christian minister who had a lot to say about arguing. And this is what he said about arguing in his book, Sonship. Arguing has nothing to do with the subject. The subject's merely a tool which an argumentative person employs to give them the upper hand. An argument is actually a power struggle. And if Jesus didn't struggle, if he did more than just meet us halfway, if he came all the way from heaven to earth to the cross, and if he has come between us, can we not meet each other halfway? You know, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today, and I want to leave you all with a question. Why did Christ die? Why did Christ die? Did he die so we could agree to disagree? In his prayer in the Gospel of John, he told us why he went to the cross. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus' body 
was broken so that in our brokenness we may enter into his body to become one. He didn't die so we could agree to disagree, nor did he die so we could get our own way. He died that we might conquer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, the test, of our testimony. He died that we may agree in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.